I'm Dr. Greg Winteregg, CEO of the Private Dentist Alliance. I want to talk to all of you students out there today who are wondering what your future is going to be like as a career in dentistry, as an assistant, as a hygienist, as a dentist, where is this profession going with the rapid increase of the DSO movement? I'm here to tell you the PDA is going to help you and I want you to become a member today. It is free. Now, why should you become a member? You're gonna get weekly video updates from me and you're gonna get regular updates of our newsletters from the Alliance on exactly what is happening and how we are going to help preserve and protect the private practice of dentistry. Now to me, the most important advantage is you are going to get access to our job board. What is that? Our private practicing members all have access to our PDA job board, which means if they have an opening in their private practice of assistant, hygienist, doctor, front office staff, they're going to be able to post it. And you're gonna be able to check up regularly. And as our membership grows, we're gonna be covering larger and larger territories across the United States. If you are looking for a job in any position in the office of a private practice, you need to become a student member today. It is free. Go to www.privatedental.org and become a student member today. You're gonna to love your benefits. Do it now. to the Dental Student Vibes Podcast. And this is Matt Havis here with you guys. We've got a hot and fresh episode out. Today, the Vibe Tribe sat down with Dr. Chris Salierno. He is a general dentist from Long Island, New York. He graduated from Stony Brook School of Dental Medicine in 2005. Dr. Salerno has served as the national president of the American Student Dental Association, chair of the ADA New Dentist Committee, and as president of his local dental society. He lectures internationally on clinical dentistry, practice management, and leadership development. He has been a practice owner of Broad Hollow Dentistry for over 10 years. In 2017, he became a chief development officer with the Celerant Consulting Group. He has been the chief editor of Dental Economics since 2014. So tune in, and we hope you guys enjoy this episode. Up with a friend of mine, Scott Frome, who was a, a dental student a year ahead of me, and we both really liked speaking. So we started to just figure out how do we become speakers together? And so we realized we had to start writing. We had to start creating material. I started a blog. We started to get editorial duties with different companies that we were working with, media companies we were working with. And one thing led to another. Uh, lots of networking, lots of hard work, lots of practice. And, um, and uh, you know, one opportunity leads to the next, leads to the next. Before I knew it, after you know, gosh, eight, 10 years of really grinding on it. That's when the opportunity with dental economics came around and, um, and all these other cool things I get to do. Right. And that's awesome. Um, I think it's really nice that you found within dental school so early on that what your passion was, your passion was getting out there, speaking with people, developing your skills as a person, your business ethics and all that. Because, you know, as we mentioned earlier in our conversation before we jumped on, this was, we don't really get that experience really in school. And you kind of hinted on it there. We get maybe one or two classes here and there. Yeah. And the practice management classes, generally speaking, you know, they're, some of them are, re are really nice. I've, I've, I've learned a bit and spoken with some of the professors that teach and, and they have really nice courses that are being given. But I think it's, it's 
you know, we're, our minds are focused on just finishing up our requirements. Our minds are focused on, on learning the clinical dentistry. But if you do a, a extracurricular activity like ASDA uh, or a dental fraternity or like, you know, ZIP, whatever it is, um, you get to actually practice this stuff, you know, on a regular basis. And, and you're, right. you're, you're, you're learning these things without having to like read a PowerPoint on it. And, and then when it comes time to work in an office or own your own business, you, you just in the background, you have that confidence to be able to like talk to an employee and tell them that they're doing a bad job, but not make it weird, you know, cause you've, you've done that stuff before. Right. No, we just talked about, I had uh, asked Dr. Salerno about, um, it was great that he went into a little bit about what you guys kind of cut out on about, you know, how we got here, he finished up the end. But then I said, it was great that he found so early on in dental school that, you know, his passion was business and, you know, speaking with people and all that. And then he kind of went into a little bit about, you know, how we do get these practice management courses at school, but it's not to that extent of what you really need to be that efficient practitioner and to really know how to run your practice efficiently. No, not at all. And that's why we started doing what we're doing here. You know, we wanted to create a high yield platform for ourselves and for the listeners that are coming after us, you know, the pre-dents and even the high school students and even current dental students. It's, it's one of those things where there's such a hole in the curriculum and you kind of go into it blindfolded without knowing anything. I love that you guys are passionate about this and, and reading dental economics and availing yourselves of these resources now. Cause I honestly wasn't paying attention to it until I was an associate. Mm-hmm. You know, I still was very clinically focused. I did know I wanted to do other things than just clinical dentistry, like the public speaking and, and writing. Um, but business didn't become an interest of mine until, I don't know. I was an, uh, an associate uh, about for me, uh, maybe three years before I owned, I started my own practice. And so it was like halfway through that period. So maybe a, I'm out a year and a half and I was like, okay, I'm not going to kill anyone in the chair. I can do this. I can operate under my own license. Uh, you know, I was learning a lot about clinical dentistry, advancing my knowledge, taking good, good CE. And then I was like, I think I need to start learning how to do the business stuff. Right. Uh, and, and, and it's not just like learning how to file an insurance claim. I said, that's boring as all hell, but it, it, it was more like the entrepreneurial stuff, you know, um, and whatever, there's so much in business practice management. There's so many different topics uh, from leadership to, to putting a business plan together. Just dive in wherever you're most interested and it'll lead to you learning all different kinds. Before you know what you're learning, what a profit and loss statement is and, and all that other stuff. And there's so many good resources right now. I don't know if you guys uh, watch the profit with Marcus Limonis, but like, mm-hmm. that's just a fun way to get a armchair MBA. You know, like right. I watch that show like crazy. And now when I do research on, you know, lean business practices or whatever, I'm whatever niche I'm into, I'm like, Oh yeah. Limonis talked about that on that episode. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it's a great way to dive in. Yeah. So many people have recommended that. It's like so many other uh, dentists that we've interviewed said, Definitely watch The Profit. Um, what are some other, let's dive into like the CEs that you mentioned and maybe some books, podcasts. Yeah, there's not a ton of CE on the business side. I, I mean, total uh, biased plug, Dental Economics has a conference that has some CE attached to it and it's purely just on business called The Principles of Practice Management. Um, but there, you know, a lot of the business courses that you can get are tied to like a consultant. And that's fine. That, those can be really 
worthwhile. Um, but in some cases, not all, but in some cases, they're they're kind of just dangling a carrot, like here's a little taste, but right. you got to hire me, and then I'll tell you, you know, how to yeah. do it. Um, so a lot of the business information I'm getting is just by looking at other industries. Um, a show like The Profit definitely gets your wheels turning, and as you hear him discuss a topic, you just you know you start pick up a book about this or that. So I have accumulated some books that that I've really. Uh, and I, I can go down a list with you. Um, some books that I really enjoyed from a business perspective that just mm -hmm. like things were sparking and it really applied to dentistry. Um, on the clinical side, that's a whole other, that's a whole other thing, right? I mean, right. Yeah. I mean, it's totally different. Do you think you're lacking? Uh, that's really important. And you take the CE for the, the things that you think you're super interested in. I thought I was going to be a cosmetic dentist when I got out and then I was like, I don't, I just want to deal with like, obnoxious patients like I don't yeah. wanna, it's just yeah. not me and I say obnoxious tongue-in-cheek like they're, they're lovely patients that are that want cosmetic dentistry but like to only exclusively look at that I realized that's not what I'm interested in I'd rather do a, an implant reconstruction right so you, you dabble you try a couple things here you try a couple things there you meanwhile you're just building up your education and little by little you realize I think for many of us that you don't need to be everyone's dentist that you can have a practice that really focuses on these kinds of uh, elements of dentistry, of clinical dentistry, and you'll be much more fulfilled and, and, and thrilled um, uh, doing that, not trying to be everything to everyone. Mm -hmm. Okay. So um, you mentioned implants. How about CEs for implants? Which ones did you like that you might have taken? I did not take an implant placement course. So that's one, one important thing. I decided uh, at some point ago, that uh, I would allow my, I would partner with periodontists and oral surgeons to place the implants surgically, and then I would restore them. And that actually mm -hmm. is a referral source for me. So right. when I refer a patient to a, a periodontist that I work with, some might say, well, you just lost $1,500 of revenue. But the way I look at it is because I have a special relationship with this periodontist, whenever they get a free agent patient, they'll refer it to me. So now I just made $1,500 or whatever on an, an abutment and crown. But now that patient stays with me for their hygiene and they bring their family and then you grow your practice very quickly by doing that uh so anyway i i on the on the restorative side uh i'm a big fan of this book right here uh carl mish's dental implant prosthetics oh, yeah. you can see i've i've this is a very well-loved book mm -hmm. it's falling apart i've read it so much Right. But this, and this is a few years old, but this book, um, it really sets an excellent foundation for implant occlusion, uh, for some of the parts and pieces. Uh, I thought that was an excellent starting point. And right. there's no restorative course that I could recommend that is the V1. Um, but uh, uh, I think you can just go to individual courses and especially ones that labs put on and, and uh, start to pick up some pearls that way. If you are interested in surgical placement, I'm a big fan of Moody's course. Uh, I uh, haven't Justin taken Moody. it myself. Okay. Yeah, Justin Moody mm -hmm. um, has a implant, a, pathway, implant pathway. Yeah, yeah, implant pathway down in Scottsdale. That's a, a very that's a very good course. He mm -hmm. does a very fine job. Mm -hmm. And you're doing uh, work on patients uh, who are typically like vets and other people that can't afford that treatment. So you're, you're doing good for a community at the same time that you're, you're learning. 
take some great skills. Right. Mm-hmm. He keeps he keeps messaging us on Instagram like, hey, when are we going to do a podcast? And then we respond, and then he just doesn't respond. So one he's day a, we'll do something with him. He's a busy. He's a very busy guy. Yeah. But yeah, please take him up on that. He's a good mm-hmm. guy, and he's and he's doing it the right way. Right. Oh, and also you mentioned the uh, the Carl Mish book. We have uh, on Thursday, Perio 3 exam, it's all on implants. We have diagrams right out of that book. So yeah, I know exactly nice. what you're talking mm-hmm. about. But. Um, Dr. Salerno, I wanted to touch back on something that you said a minute ago. So you, yeah. you kind of have a unique approach to, to building your, your, your patient in, inflow. And it's by working with specialists and getting referrals. So I wanted to ask you what your approach was to building these um, – these relationships with these specialists, whether it be a periodontist or an oral surgeon or whatnot? Yeah, so uh, this really depends on what your business model is. And, and this is something, if you've seen me at like an ASDA National Leadership Conference, or I go to a lot of dental schools, this is something I'll, I'll frequently talk about is building a business model for your practice. Um, and this is a, an exercise that I like to use. See, I'm stuck. He's got all the right now. Here. <laughs> Again, this may look in reverse, but Business Model Generation by Osterwalder uh, came out in 2010. This is an outstanding visual way to create a business plan. Okay. I, I fell in love with this book years ago. It takes a lot of collective wisdom about business plans, but just puts it together in a really smart way. So I would say, first and foremost, you, you create a business plan using some sort of strategy, such as the business model canvas that they talk about in that book. But basically, you start with your target demographic, you talk about unique selling propositions to that target demographic, then all the other things, building blocks like marketing all start to fall into place. But one of the strategies I had early on, and and this had come about from some mentors that I had had early on, they were like, look, yeah, it makes sense. Like a lot of patients do like one stop, like they go to the super GP who just does everything. That's a business model. There's nothing wrong with that. And if you want to take on that, that risk and liability to, to handle all, you know, uh, advanced molar endo with all, you know, in one, uh, operatory. And then you're going on now to like do a third, you know, super duper impacted wisdom teeth to extractions and then go and place, uh, do, do, uh, you know, uh, uh, sinus lifts and implants. And if that's your idea of an awesome day, then, go rock that. That's awesome. That is a great business model. Your patients will be very happy. Um, but for me, I enjoy working with a team. I like having uh, other specialists that I work with that take some of that liability, right? Because they're an expert. They know how to do this better than I can. If I don't do an extraction well, I'm held to the standard of an oral surgeon uh, or an endodontist or whomever. Uh, that's an important point to remember. So if your skills aren't where they need to be, then that's important to always get the patient the right care, but it's also a business plan. So, uh, I have found that the best source of new patients is other dentists. There's no, uh, Facebook ad or billboard I can put up that will build the trust at the same level as when a patient comes to me and says, Dr. So-and-so said I should be seeing you hands down. That is just a different quality of patient that then comes into your chair because they already have trust. So what I've done is I've built with orthodontists, with endodontists, with oral surgeons, with periodontists. It's not for everyone, but I basically tell them, you know what? You don't have to buy me lunch. You don't have to send me a basket of wine at Christmas. Like Mm -hmm. this is, this is a two way street, not a one way street, old referral, 
methods were just one way. GP sends the specialists all the stuff they don't want to deal with, and you take me out to dinner every now and then and buy me some stuff for Christmas, right? And I say yeah. that's that's old. That's old school. We're colleagues. I will give you patience when I can. Think of me when you get a free agent patient when you can. You know, but think of other GPs too. It's not just all about me, but. Uh, and don't steal patients from other GPs. That's not what I'm saying, but you get a free agent patient every now and then. Mm -hmm. So find someone that has a dentist who retired or doesn't have a GP and uh, you want to send them my way. That's great. And it's not tit for tat, right? It's not like I sent you three. So you have to send me three. This is not even anything that could be considered fee splitting. It's just, let's, let's try to refer some business both of our ways. You do that with a few specialists and you will very quickly grow your practice. I mean, I say very quickly. It, it takes it takes months of, of that building that rapport with someone. It does, but it, it's a very sound way to build your practice. Um, again, when I send someone to get a tooth extracted or whatever, they see that specialist once or twice or whatever, and then they're done. But when a specialist sends you a patient for a procedure, you now you're now you're their dentist, right? So you mm -hmm. now get to and they bring their family and their friends, and you grow something pretty quickly. So that's a business reason that I do that. Um, no right or wrong answer. You, you choose the one that makes more sense for you. And I, by the way, I'm also practicing on Long Island where there's dozens of dentists in a small area. Right, right? Exactly. We're the only dentist for a hundred miles. That plan probably doesn't make a lot of sense, right? Mm -hmm. Right, right. So uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, case acceptance. Mm. So what are, actually, let's just go with one thing that really kind of changed your case acceptance and then we'll get into like more specific uh, phrases that you might use. Sure. I would say the, and I, I lecture on this quite a bit. Um, if I had to pick one, one big pivot that I, I did comparing to how, when I presented cases, when I was in dental school and a recent graduate to now, it's to talk less and listen more. And what I mean specifically by that, cause that could just sounds like fortune cookie wisdom, but, what I mean specifically by that um, is I, I've learned to, uh, first of all, create time. So if I'm seeing someone in a hygiene room and I'm in the middle of a procedure in the other room, I don't try to give them a complex treatment plan like soup to nuts. Like I do it the proper way. Let's get some study models. We have the radiographs. Great. I say, come back in a week. Let me do my homework, figure out what this case would look like, and let's just sit down and chat for a half hour. That's a free consultation. And patients never say no to that. They're like, yeah, free mm -hmm. consultation, sure, fine. So first and foremost, I buy myself some time, but that time is to listen, not to talk. One of the most common mistakes I made when I was starting out doing case acceptance is I felt like I had to take my, my dental knowledge and just beat these patients over the head with it, right? And be like, well, you know, you're missing some teeth, so, you know, we could do a full hybrid case, and that's made out of, like, you know, acrylic and metal. Now, honestly, these days we're doing more zirconia, and that's a great material, six to eight implants. No one gives a crap. Like, patients don't care about the materials. They don't care about any of this. Like, now I just sit down and I ask lead-generating questions. We sit down, I've got the study models, I've got the radiographs on the screen, clinical photos, all that good stuff. We sit down and the first thing I say is, tell me a story. 
You know, I, I or I, I look at the screen and, and I look at the models with multiple missing teeth or whatever, and I'm like, so how did we get here? You know, <laughs> something like that, right? So you put the ball in their court, more or less. And the that's right. And the first words, the next words out of their mouth are going to be priceless, mm -hmm. because if that person with a, 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 a mouth that's just a mess, if the first words out of their mouth are yeah, I don't know. I think a couple teeth are broken uh, and they're checking their watch. Anyway, so uh, can't we just spackle this up? Uh, I got to get out of here. You can imagine that personality type mm -hmm. and you can imagine the work you're going to have to do conversationally to see if they're ever going to give a crap about their oral health, right? Separate from that, same exact clinical presentation. Mouth is a mess in all the same places, loose teeth, the bombed out teeth, whatever. You say, tell me a story. And that same patient could say, you know, uh, I'm really embarrassed to smile. It's hard for me to eat. And my kids are grown up, so they're out of college. It's time for me. I'm ready to make a difference for myself now. Great. Right. Like, I, this is a total different presentation, right? From, mm -hmm. from case A to case B. I don't have to sell them on the value of their oral health. They're like, let's do this dance. Let's go. So I'd be like, great. You know, and now we just, I can, I'll, start, I'll state what I see, make sure they see it. You see this missing tooth here. You see this large dark area here. That's decay. We go through that stuff still. I'm, I'm making sure that they're well informed of, of their status, but I take plenty of times to just stop and listen see their reaction, read their face. Are they, did they know this was coming or are they, are they resistant? Are they afraid? If I detect anything that's a little off, I'm like, so how does this make you feel when I say this? What's on your mind? And oh, I'm just worried it's going to be expensive. Okay. I've heard they're concerned about finances. Let's file mm -hmm. that one away. Good. Mm -hmm. Or they might say, I'm just, I, this is a lot of work and I, I, I'm, I'm worried it's going to hurt. Ah, they're concerned about this being a painful experience. Great, let's file that one away. We'll address it in time. But one of the things we could do too, because we're not listening, we're just in the middle of our canned speech, is we start to raise objections that don't even exist. Mm -hmm. So I could go on a whole rant about this is wrong with this tooth and ba 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 ba, and we're gonna put a whole plan together. Don't worry, it won't be too expensive. And now the patient who wasn't even concerned about finances is like, oh, too expensive. Oh, what the. Don't introduce an objection that doesn't exist. Okay, right. right. So, so is there any like uh, specific phrases you'd like to use, like analogies, like you're, you're talking about, like if it's too expensive, I know uh, Paul Goodman uses uh, insurance as dental coupons. Like that's one of the things that he calls it. Yeah, yeah, I have some turns of phrase, but I have no canned speeches. Because if you have a canned speech, then you're not listening to the patient, right. in my opinion. You're, right. you can't, you know, little phrases, Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's yeah, exactly. great. You use them, your whole team uses them, and that's great. The tell me a story is 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 one right off the bat. Okay, there we go. That's great. You'll be shocked to hear how many times I say that. It's just a great starting point. I look, mm -hmm. I look at the models and hey, tell me a story. Right. Or a patient comes in for an emergency and they broke a tooth. Hey, tell me a story. Again, now reading their demeanor, the words they choose you will have a great idea about now how to pursue the rest of this conversation. Uh, dental coupons is great. I, I agree with Paul that we should do everything in our power and our team too, 
to not use the term dental insurance because it's not insurance. It's, it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it's maybe better to suit it as an indemnity plan. I mean, call it a coupon. That's good. Mm -hmm. Um, my friend Alan Mead will often say, uh, you think of it like a, a gift card, but it's like the worst gift card ever. Like there's all these restrictions on it yeah. and they, you know, you think you can use it here and then all of a sudden you can't and I have to pay it back. Like it's just, it's just a terrible gift card. Mm -hmm. um, those are great ones to use, but the key here is whatever you use, coupon, gift card, whatever, make sure your whole team uses it because you can go on that whole song and dance. The bitch is like, yeah, coupon, I gotcha. And they go to the front desk and your team member says, well, your insurance isn't going to cover this. And you're like, oh, well, forget it. It's all out the window now. So training that team and practicing to make sure that you're all using that same dental speak is, is critically important. Right. Whenever I have a patient that says, I'll give you just a, a related one. Whenever I have someone that says, oh, my insurance doesn't cover this, therefore I don't want to do it. What I'll remind them is I say, listen, you're the driver. You're in the driver's seat. I'm riding shotgun, right? I've got the map. You got a half tank of gas. Let's go. We're going to where we need to get you to go, right? What you're calling dental insurance, which is really more like a really terrible gift card. That's just some dude in the back seat that's getting a free ride. That dude yeah. doesn't get to tell us how fast you should drive and what route we should take. Screw that guy. He's getting a free ride. Mm -hmm. You know, so I'll use like a little story like that. And that kind of also helps get them to understand like, oh yeah, they're not in charge. Right. Uh, mm -hmm. It's important to distance the term insurance because uh, they also of course think that, well, it's medical insurance. And if the medical insurance isn't covering it, that probably means it's because I shouldn't be doing it. Right. So, uh -huh. Uh, the gift point. card, the coupon, the backseat driver, much better analogies. Right. And I think that's awesome. Uh, unfortunately, we missed, you spoke uh, back in November at the Private Dentist Alliance Conference. Oh, yes. I was there. I was there on Saturday. We missed ah. you on Friday. Um, but, you know, I was reading kind of some of the talking points and we kind of touched on a lot of these. And these are some of the ones that I wanted to ask you. But it seems like that big point you brought up about developing systems that will reproduce clinical and practice success. And that's a big one right there. Like Seth was saying phrases, words, and then you talked about these things that will actually reproduce that clinical and practice success if everyone's on board. As long as everyone's on board. I love these turns of phrase. It's great. You're collecting these. Uh, there's no silver bullet. There's no one that works all the time. So your listening and reacting skills are going to be just as important as any cute phrase you have. But as you discover these phrases by talking to other people, you hear it in a lecture, you, you, find out on a Facebook forum or whatever. As you hear these, the important thing is if you really like it, this is your Monday morning huddle topic then. You know, you bounce it off your team and you start to work with them. Be like, hey, what do you think about this as a phrase? Do you like this? And if they're like, no, I don't think that'll work because of X, Y, Z and everyone's kind of like now, then great, you, you, you move on. But if your team isn't using the same language, then patients are going to get confused, right? right. So. Uh, th that kind of gets into the whole other realm of, of building good systems, which is a whole other conversation, but making sure your team has buy-in to it and then also practicing it multiple times. It's a great, you know, morning huddle topic or, or something like that. When there's downtime, you just kind of workshop these things. It, it gets everyone trained on the same page. Mm -hmm. So let's, uh, let's dive deeper into that, into team building, uh, managing your team. Can you give me something that really works for you? One thing that really kind of made a big shift in your team culture? Yes. 
So the good news is this will be coming up. I saw you hold up the, uh, I guess it was probably the April yeah, issue of DE. Right. Here's a sneak peek into the May Ooh. issue. Oh, wow. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm excited too. So uh, the May issue is on lean dentistry, right? And so that's a concept that came from lean manufacturing, blah, blah, blah. It's a whole, has a whole interesting history. Um, but one of the aspects of lean that I'm most interested in is this here. Uh, again, this mm -hmm. is backwards, I'm sure, but Kaizen, which is a Japanese philosophy related to lean dentistry. I go into uh, in some articles about what the difference is. But the Kaizen principle, and you could do an awesome deep dive on Wikipedia, just right. Google Kaizen, and oh man, like you'll, you'll, you're going to love it. How I see it applied to dentistry, and I write about it in DE in my article that appears in there, I actually wrote an article for that issue, is um, there's this scientific process called the Deming wheel for creating systems uh, called the PDCA cycle. PDCA stands for plan, do, uh, yeah, uh, plan, do, assess, and then act, like put it into like a, as, as part of like a, a system. Mm -hmm. And the idea is you, this is how I would incorporate this. This is how I develop a system in my practice. Uh, I noticed that say patients are owing me money. Like patients are supposed to be paying 20 bucks co-payment, right? Um, they're not paying it. They just walk out. And so our accounts receivable is growing and growing and growing. I'm going to my team like, did you collect money from the pay? Oh, they said they forgot their checkbook or, oh, they didn't know or, oh, we never told them and whatever nonsense it is. So you call a team huddle. You say, all right, front desk people, we're coming in. We're going to have a little 15 minute huddle session. This is the P part, the plan. So identify the problem. Why aren't patients paying what they owe the time that service is rendered why are we chasing money for months and months and then you shut up and you listen to your team and let them explain why they think it's not going right big difference here first of all it's not, it's mm -hmm. not me guessing why a system mm -hmm. is broken i'm asking them why it's broken and so there's a whole process of what you can do to get really good answers out of that the five whys all this really good stuff okay so you've identified what's wrong. The next part of plan though is you plan a solution. What are you going to do about it? And here's the key. It doesn't come from your mouth. It comes right. from the team. Let the team say, well, I think we should print this form and hand it to patients. And then they sign it. And now there's a record of what they owe. And you know, if they sign it, then they get an appointment. They're like, great. Yes. Awesome. I love it. Let's do it. Right. Key here is that they came up with the solution. They have mm -hmm. ownership of it. This isn't just me being like, we're going to do this now, everybody. Good luck with it. No, that's, that's top-down management, and it doesn't work for these little intricate systems. Um, so the next part is the D, the do, is you just do it. Say, great, we're going to start doing this right now. This is great, Sarah. Thank you for this suggestion on this new system. We're going to start doing it immediately. That's a hard part for dentists. We're like, well, let me think about it for a week. I want to make sure it's perfect. No, just do it. And now you're going to check back. That's the, the, the C, you check back, PDCA. So you check, check, check. You run this experiment week after week. How's it working? Is it good? Is it bad? Do we need to tweak it? Play with it, play with it, play with it, play with it. And then finally, after a couple of months, you say, yep, we've arrived at our final system. Now is the A, the act. You put it into action. It's an official system. 
this is in place. It's like the scientific method, and it's called the scientific method for, for business, right? You have right. A, a hypothesis, you try it, look at the results, you know, it's the same thing. So that's, that's how I build systems with my team, is you bring a huddle together, workshop it, start testing solutions, and when it works, you say, great, put it in the books. Right. Very different from how most dentists build systems in their practice, mm -hmm. which is just yell at people for why things aren't being done right and hoping they figure it out for themselves. Right. It's so, a democracy. Yeah, it is. It is. You're guiding the democracy. Like it's, right. it's uh, you're not a dictator, but you're, you're, you're definitely the one that's moving this democracy forward. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So I got a question about that. Um, so I'm sure like I've, I've heard that, you know, Kaizen and the PDCA, I've heard that in Good. the single doctor practices and maybe, you know, a couple doctors in the one practice. But under multi-practice ownership, how would you do that? You know, because would you have each practice come up with their own systems and have the teams? So how would that kind of come into play there? So if I were running multiple practices, I would say we have a book of systems that's been workshopped by these X number of practices. And I would hand this to a team to be trained on, to if I have a new team member, if I open a new office or I buy an office that has totally different systems and now I need to indoctrinate them into ours, you've got the playbook, right? And, and you educate them on that playbook as best you can, videos and, and trying it out, whatever. But any good system runner knows that this is a living document, mm -hmm. that this is not written in stone. And if you have a an office that a particular system with a certain, you know, few tweaks just seems to work better there than it does somewhere else and let them do it. Mm -hmm. Let them do it. I don't okay. care. I don't need to have everyone doing everything exactly the same way. Just get it done. Mm -hmm. Right. So if you're hitting your numbers and the, and everything's operating correctly, we're good here. And each of those systems should be checked periodically. You're never done with that, that Kaizen process, PDCA process. So in each office, I would check back in a year later. Hey, how's that patient accounts receivable thing going? Let's look at the numbers. Are you actually doing the things that we talked about? Oh, you're not? Okay, let's work, work on some more training on that. Let's figure out why this isn't working. So you make sure that everything's working well, but if I have two offices that are doing something a little bit differently, if it's getting done, I don't care. Mm -hmm. All right. Gotcha. Would you also consider like having uh like a multiple practice team huddle kind of thing. I don't actually seem like you're, you're into team huddles. I don't know if you do them daily, weekly or whatever, but maybe yeah, we do a morning together. huddle, just looking at the schedule. And I also use that as an opportunity to, to give praise, right? If someone kicked butt the day before, mm -hmm. I want to publicly let like, Hey, you know, Vanessa did an awesome job yesterday when she did this, this, this awesome job. Um, so I use my morning huddles like that. We'll have team meetings periodically to, to kind of review some things. Uh, obviously, we're gonna have a lot of team huddles based around uh, the changes for, for COVID and infection control and stuff. Um, but if I had multiple practices, absolutely, I would do retreats, if you will, where you get people together, um, bond, cross train. Um, you know, you want to be one of the advantages of having multiple practices is if you want to be able to if, if someone's, you know, on maternity leave that you can pluck someone from one place and put them into the other mm -hmm. with minimal uh, red tape and headaches. So uh, if the offices are operating completely differently, then that would obviously pose a challenge. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So um, you, you've given us some great information so far. I really appreciate that. 
Um, let's kind of switch gears a little bit, um, kind of closing out. So what are some tips or advice you would give to dental students um, about to go into clinic? And then we'll go to dental students that are graduating right now with this crazy atmosphere. Uh, if you're going into clinic, don't be like me. I was very timid going into clinical dentistry. I didn't want to hurt anyone. Now that's a great instinct. <laughs> yeah. You should not want to hurt anyone. You shouldn't <laughs> have too much confidence. Your first class one, you shouldn't be like, I got this. I read the book. Don't be like that. But on the same token, realize you've been trained well and your professors are there. Mm -hmm. They're there to help you. They're there to, I, I, I taught at Stony Brook actually for a, a couple of years, I think yeah, about a couple of years after I graduated. And so I was there on the clinic floor on the other side, I was there holding the, the student's hand while they're like nervously shaking to give mm -hmm. the first inferior alveolar, right? Like I've been there. That's what we're there for. So find the faculty that um, you work really well with, that you connect with, uh, that you trust and lean on them to help ease that that confidence hurdle that you're going to have to get over um and by all means like especially for the first few times you do a thing like proceed with caution by all means but um i was so intimidated and nervous about the whole thing that um i was delayed in i just had a, a, a much longer runway before i could take off um, and, uh, I probably missed out on some clinical experiences if I had been a little more, you know, with the rest of the curve. And mm -hmm. so I would say if you're about to go into clinic, study up, find a professor, a mentor that you really trust, uh, talk to your other students about any concerns, anxieties you may have, but just know they're there to help you. You're not mm -hmm. on your own. Right. That's good. So how about, uh, the students that are now facing uh, maybe having a job, maybe not having a job, what would you give them uh, advice for them? Yeah, I don't know of any starving dentists. Right. Every dentist gets a job, even during this pandemic. You can always get a job. What you should not do is get a job that you hate and then feel like you're stuck there. Mm -hmm. So my criteria for evaluating a job are is money, so if you're getting mm -hmm. paid well, that's a perk. Uh, another criteria is the future. Uh, if you would like to buy into this practice, but they, they're young owners and they don't want anyone to buy in, it's, there's never going to be that opportunity, then that's a disconnect, right? You want to buy in, you don't. like So that's a factor. Uh, the next would be growth. Are you learning clinically or is this, a, is this an amazing cosmetic dentist and you're learning all these cool things or they have a great business mind? Um, so you're growing personally, professionally. And the last would be just the environment, the culture. Do you like working there? Are the people that work there nice? Is there no drama? Is it a modern looking office? You just get, you don't have those, that like anxiety before you walk in every day. Everyone's just, it's good vibes. It's fun to work there. If you find a practice that checks all four of those boxes, hallelujah, you're typically only going to find an opportunity that checks three or maybe two of those boxes. Mm -hmm. So now you have a decision to make. You say, I'm not learning much and I hate working in there, but man, I'm being paid well. Well, all right, you got a call to make. But if you're checking none of those boxes, and I've talked to people that are in that position, I'm not making money. I hate working there. I'm not learning anything and there's no future for me there. Should I stay? I'm like, no, what are you doing? Get out of there. Leave yeah. immediately. You're not going to starve. Your loans will be taken care of. Don't worry about it. 
you'll find another gig. So I would say uh, you'll always find an opportunity to, to, to work in dentistry. Don't worry about, you know, being on the, on the side of the road with a little like cardboard, we'll drill for food. Like you'll be fine. Uh, the worst thing I would be concerned about is getting stuck in a bad opportunity because you're afraid to take a bigger leap. Right. That's, that's great advice. So Dr. Salerno, thank you so much for all this great advice. Um, where can our followers, our listeners reach out to you at? Sure. And so on Instagram, um, uh, at the curious dentist with little underscores between the curious and, and dentist and, um, in dental economics, um, um, you'll find me there with my email address every month. Awesome. So uh, last question. So what's next for you in the future, the next couple of years here? What are you looking towards doing? You know, uh, we're really excited about the Dental Economics Conference this year. It's going to be in Vegas in October. It's just focused on profit. We're calling it the Profit Summit. Um, we're going to have these focused talks. I think that's really exciting. And we get mm -hmm. like, a, we cap it out at about 150 participants. So it's really kind of an intimate meeting feel. That has been the most fun. One of the most rewarding things I've done over the past few years is, is going to that conference and just seeing entrepreneurial folks like yourselves just like feed off each other and be like, oh my God, and then you could do this and they get all excited and yeah. learn from like the, some of the best people in the industry. So I'm excited to see that, that uh, take off. And we've got really great people that are writing for DE and, um, uh, and our other properties. So it, it's just, uh, it's been awesome. I can't wait to see that expand too. And for our listeners, is there anywhere that they could sign up for the summit that you oh, will be offering? Yes, yes. So uh, if you just go to um, principlesofpracticemanagement.com, but management is MGMT, uh, or just Google Profit Summit Dental Economics, you'll find mm -hmm. your way there. Um, and uh, there's information on the courses and stuff. Sounds great. Thank you. Awesome. Yeah, this has been very positive. Now I don't have to put a hashtag cleaning for eating on any of my uh, Instagram <laughs> We'll posts. drill for food. That's a, I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that. Look, it's an amazing time to be a dentist. It's an amazing time to be a business owner and a dentist. And don't let anyone tell you differently. Right. Thanks, Thank Dr. You. Salino. Thanks, guys. All right, guys. This is Matt Havis back at it again. And I hope you guys enjoyed this very special episode with Dr. Salerno. And as always, remember, give us a like, follow, comment on Instagram at dental.student.vibes. And make sure you guys give us some feedback. We want to make this podcast the best we can for you. So as always, just stay safe, be well, and vibe on.